Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And today we are discussing Black Mirror and Altered Carbon. It's been a while since we've done a review here, and this is not going to be one of our thorough episode-long reviews of a single thing. Uh, those are going to be two little mini reviews of some things we've been watching. So why don't you start off, John? I know you watched the most recent season, or I guess series, as they say in the uh, the United Kingdom, of Black Mirror, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, so Black Mirror. Black Mirror is a show <laughs> that we've talked about before and that probably among shows is one of the shows that for me has fallen the furthest. Uh, because when Black Mirror started, I was very, very excited about it. Uh, many, many of the episodes I thought were great in the first two series, but it's kind of been going downhill for me, and I got to say this new season isn't doing that much for me, so I'm going to be a little bit critical of it. Not that we've never been critical of Black Mirror before, but uh, in the past, I've always tempered that with also wanting to recommend it as like a good inventive show that does deal with some of the topics we care about, but I, it's it's jumped the shark a little bit for me, I got to say, at this point. Well, they're trying to make a whole lot of episodes now, right? They used to have these really short seasons where at least one or two of the episodes would be really good, and six is just a lot. I don't know. I didn't get through the last season of it. I, I also feel the way you do. Like, I loved the first season, and I liked that Domino Gleason robot one and the one we reviewed, The White Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it seems like it's fallen into its most annoying habits, uh, almost as if they're a formula now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's just the sheer volume of episodes they're producing. And, you know, Charlie Brooker is still writing mostly all of them, which is, I think, a tough task for one person to do with an anthology show. And I I think he's one thing that's happening is he's starting to repeat himself. So actually, what I want to talk about is the first season. I'm sorry, the first episode of the new season, the fourth season, okay, which is called USS Callister. Uh, And it's been talked about as if it's a one of the best episodes of this new season. Uh, But I I had a lot of problems with it. So uh, first, just to give a very, very quick summary of the plot, and this will contain spoilers, but it's been out for a while now. So I assume uh, listeners have had a chance to see it if they want to. Go ahead and spoil it for me. I've, I've, I've been dreading watching it. Okay. So it takes place. It has a little bit of a trick beginning, but I'm going to skip over that for now. The, The main setting is in an office of a, a uh, company that makes a massive multiplayer online video game called Infinity. Uh, this has got to be sometime in the future, like these episodes often are. It's not totally clear how far in the future it is. Uh, but they make this Infinity game that's extremely popular. And there are two people that are co-founders. Uh, one is kind of the public face of the company, is you know more charismatic and likable. Uh, I think his name is Walton. Uh, and the other is sort of the nerdy chief technical officer who you get the sense designed the actual technology. Uh, and his name is Daly. And Daly is more or less the main character as the story begins. And uh, basically, Daly is this like nerdy character who's sort of disgruntled about the fact that he doesn't really get as much credit as his co founder. And he's like not very good at dealing with people. And there's a cute new girl that comes to work at the office who sort of praises him for being a genius. And he sort of wants to try to flirt with her. You can tell, but he's like not very good at it. And, you know, of course, his co-founder is better at it. And so he can't really seem to get any attention. It's just one of those characters. It's not a terribly new character. Um, But it's definitely not a situation where you're supposed to feel bad. (laughs) for the sad nerd character who can't relate to girls uh, because this guy turns out to be a terrible, horrible sociopath. And the reason he's a sociopath is what he does is he makes emulated copies of his coworkers without their knowledge. Now, this is the first problem and really the biggest single problem with the episode, right? Is, first of all, this is not a world where making copies of people is commonplace, as it was in, say, the Christmas episode right, that we've talked right, about. Right. 
there it's understood that that's just a thing that happens and people have these assistants, right? Right. So it's not common knowledge. Now, but this guy is a very technically savvy guy. Okay, he's got the cutting edge tech to make this happen. But let's say, imagine that your goal, right? Let's say you were really pissed at me because I, I like, you know, was taking all the glory from the company we co-founded. And so you, and so you wanted to put me in my place, right? And so you thought, well, a cool way to do that would be if I could make a simulated copy of John, put him in a virtual world, and then boss him around and sort of torment him, right? <laughs> okay. So, so how do you think you would acquire sort of my mind file without uh, me knowing yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so right. I would probably try to scan you, your brain, like by possibly hacking your brain implant if you have one, or if you don't have one, then maybe I have some kind of a wand or um, a visor. Maybe I can hack your 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 brain visor that you use to do like telepathic VR. Sure. So you're you're supposing I'm, some other technologies, right? I'm just imagining some technology that might scan your brain. Basically. Okay. Right. Like that- a futuristic MRI, maybe. Like you go through a you go through a scanner, like a like a barrel of some kind sure and you get your brain scanned so or maybe it's electronic if it's like attached to an implant mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that yeah so so implant will take off the table right right because again this is not a commonplace thing in this world right but you'd, but you'd have to get a wand or a visor or something near my brain and scan it right that's and maybe what I assume, yes and you'd tell you'd tell me some story right like this is for... right, right uh oh john you want to play this new game right but it's like the visor is actually hacked and it scans your brain or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's got, or like you even say like, Oh, it's got to like scan, you know, your brainwaves first to tailor the experience to you. Right. But you know, but I have no idea (laughs) that it's going to make a copy of me. Well, it's just, I'm just hacking this. Right. I'm hacking this thing to steal a copy of you. Right. Right. Okay. Sure. Okay. So the way it works in this episode is that, uh, if you want to make a copy from me, it turns out all you have to do is when I'm not looking, take this mug that's in front of me right now that used to have tea in it uh-huh. that I've been putting my lips to, probably has tiny fragments of my DNA on it, uh-huh. get some of my DNA with a Q-tip, run it through some technical magic, and create in a computer a copy of me that has all of my memories right up into the moment I drank from my mug. Oh, okay. So yeah, so this is that's a preposterous because... I could imagine they could get your DNA and then grow a clone of you in in accelerated time inside a computer, mm-hmm. which would produce your body and your general outlook on life, perhaps. Sure. But to get your memories, it seems like I'd have to know the exact state of the molecules in your brain at the time that you were drinking the coffee or whatever. Exactly. Uh, and that does not seem like, I, you know... <laughs> I'm trying to make this work in my head. If they have like a totally accurate model of the deterministic universe, right? In their computer, maybe they can like instantiate you at your moment of birth and run you through the simulator. But that's pretty absurd, it's right? It's extremely absurd. I'm, I'm reaching really hard. And I honestly, I don't know how anyone could get through this episode when it has this fundamental assumption that your memories are stored in your DNA. Now I have a lot of, <laughs> I work with high school students <laughs> And they've taken biology, and I'm pretty sure if I asked a not particularly brilliant high school student, where are your memories stored? They would point to their head. (laughs) They would not say, oh, it's this thing called DNA, (laughs) right? Uh, Now, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe this is not as common knowledge as I think, and science education is really that bad. Um, that people can watch this episode and go along with this. I mean, see, the reason... And, and I'll go back to the story really quickly before I continue ranting about that. But um, so he makes copies of these people yeah, uh, using their DNA. And he enacts a fantasy that is heavily based upon Star Trek. It looks... They shoot it. It looks exactly like Star Trek or like a Star Trek parody. Okay. So this guy's fantasy world is one where he gets to be the captain of a Star Trek-like ship, mm-hmm. and all of the people in the office that he perceives to be doing him wrong have to work as his employees and do exactly what he says and act like he's a brilliant captain who sure. always knows what to do. And if they at all go against him at all or try to fight back, then he has the power to torture them in all manner of ways because they are just software that he can control. Yeah. So 
it is really basically a story about torture, but we'll come back to that. But yeah, but going back to this like fundamental under- misunderstanding, what frustrates me about it is obviously the episode, and, and this might be something someone would say in response to me complaining about this, is not trying to be hardcore speculative science fiction that is totally accurate. That's obviously not the goal of Black Mirror. Right. Uh, especially not this episode. This is some kind of satire or fun, you know, romp with virtual beings. I get that. Yeah. I still think that with two seconds more of thought <laughs> in the writing room or wherever they came up with this, yeah, they could have fixed this problem and they just didn't care to enough to do that. And that makes that, that just makes me hate the show to a certain amount. Um because like you said, uh, he could get a wand near, like, like to rewrite the story. For example, they're all in an office, right? Yeah. They, you mentioned some sort of visor, right? They could have some sort of AR headsets that they all use to do their job on this futuristic video game. Right, right, right. right. Or another idea could be maybe all the employees uh, have to submit to some kind of brain scan for the purposes of drug testing. Right? Maybe it's yeah, that or kind hiring, of a uh, hiring thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Maybe the condition yeah. of uh, your hire is that we scan you and we run a battery of uh, stress tests on you before we take you on. Yeah. So I'd be more willing to uh, tolerate this if it was a conceit that was needed to make the plot work, but it's really not needed. It's very easy to write your way around this problem. Yeah. This seems like a solvable one. Yeah. Okay. So that's the biggest problem with the episode, but it's, it's, it made the whole thing hard to watch for me. But you could, like, you can imagine, like, a world where he's using a sensible technology to scan people's brains. It's not totally crazy to imagine that, like, a meek person in the office might have, like, a torture fantasy that they carry out in virtual space. Like, that's kind of interesting. Sure. So so let's grant that, right? Okay. Let's just, like, not worry about that problem. Yeah. And... Imagine the rewritten version that fixes it, how we're describing, right. where they actually scan the brain and sure. don't use DNA. Um, yeah, I guess that is an interesting story. It, it is a little bit retreading ground that Black Mirror's already covered, because mm-hmm. um, they already did the virtual beings in the Christmas episode and torturing them in terrible ways. Yes. Um, so it feels a little bit like a rehash. Now, it is... But it is a bit different, and it goes to a bit different place. It's different in the sense that it's a meek person who's not torturing something in order to make it an assistant or torturing something to get information or a confession out of it, like in the Christmas episode. It's torturing someone just to make yourself feel better, serve your ego, I guess. But it is really a torture story. I mean, to me, this is an episode about a sociopath who tortures people in order to feel better. Mm. And that's really all I think it has to say about human nature. The problem is I... I I feel like it wants to be about other things, or at least articles I've read about it want it to be some sort of satire of, you know, fan culture or like they, they want it to have something to do with maybe Gamergate or something, or like it's about toxic masculinity or something. But I mean, all these issues it could be dealing with, I feel like are completely dwarfed by the fact that this is somebody torturing other people. <laughs> like torture to me is such a huge issue. It kind of trumps those other things it might be wanting to say. Which is, again, my part of my larger problem with Black Mirror, which is that its need to make take everything to the cruelest possible place, whether it's fully justified by the needs of the story or not, I feel like makes it samey and repetitive and like limits it ability, its ability to actually explore a wider variety of human interactions, right? It seems yeah. to just love to create characters um, that do bad things so that they deserve to be punished. And then it delights in then punishing them, right? And yeah, well, well, yeah, it's it's definitely focused on the most like dark parts of human nature and how they are applied to various technologies. Right, but it feels like again, I guess part of my problem is it's rehashing, right? It's like I've seen this note played before in Black Mirror, right? So it's not all that exciting this time around. I do like though the idea. So here's where the story goes. Eventually, the people, the copies that are stuck inside his fantasy Mm -hmm. start hatching a plan to try to get out. Okay. Right? And the idea of the emulated beings trying to escape uh, is an interesting plot line. And I want to recommend to our our listeners um, a Greg Egan short story called Crystal Knights. Right. That is the uh, an early story that deals with that is, is really interesting. 
Um, and I think you can find it online for free, but it's also collected in, in uh, a book of short stories that he wrote. Um, and that has that plot line. I also think that Rick and Morty has dealt with that plot line. So it's an interesting plot line. And by the way, note about Rick and Morty. If you want to watch black, black comedy with technology, I'd highly recommend that over Black Mirror at this point. Yeah, if you haven't yet watched all three seasons of Rick and Morty, do it. After the first episode of the first season, they drop their parody frame, really, and just become like a comedic uh, sci-fi show that has pretty excellent uh, conceptual depth i mean it's 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 often fantastical in many ways sure but it it definitely is like internally consistent in a way that i really love right and i bring that up to say that i'm not like some snob who will only enjoy sci-fi that is exactly plausible at every moment because i like rick and morty a lot uh it's just when like there's such a near miss uh of something that could be so easily fixed especially when yeah well i think what it is is that black mirror wants to be speculative and also even when it's more of like a stylized world it still has a kind of realist tone and i think that's what misleads us because i think you and i are like hoping for something that will be very rigorous but also very realistic and i think um, rigorous isn't important to them they just want to be dark and and realistic in tone and i think that leads them sometimes to be unrealistic in concept basically sure but it seems to me like they always err in the side of doing something that is unbelievably cruel and I can't even figure out who it benefits or why it's there. You know? Right. Right. Like it seems to have just been there because like a psychopath got too much control of something. Uh, and I can't, I can't come up with another logical explanation for why, you know, people live in a bicycle dystopia or like the one that you're describing. Yeah. And that's fair. And, and this criticism I'm making about it being really about torture again is, is, is a much milder criticism. It's really more a matter of taste, right? I mean, if that's your bag, if you just want to watch like something that's just relentlessly dark and unnuanced in that way from start to finish, that's fine. And I, you know, I like dark stuff, so it's that's it's not like it offends my sensibilities. It's just I feel samey um, mm-hmm. at, at this point in in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing to just to wrap up this review is at the end they do manage to escape the simulated world, and they do so in kind of an interesting way uh there's some cool plot devices so one of the characters that is new that shows up and sort of makes the escape happen is the new girl at the office that i talked about earlier Mm -hmm. so of course he you know he gets a lollipop or something i forget what it is that the new girl at the office has maybe it's from her coffee mug or something and he makes a copy of her Mm -hmm. now of course you would think oh well he's going to try to have sex with her or something but the story never goes there in fact the emulated beings all have no genitals for some reason Okay. So it's this totally like sexless, like Star Trek universe that they're in. Okay. He just really just wants to boss them around and be looked up to as the captain, I think. She joins the crew and the crew has already tried to escape several, several times and and been put in their place and tortured for it. So they've kind of given up, but she sort of gives them new hope or like pep talks them. Mm -hmm. And the plan she comes up with is to blackmail herself in the real world. Mm-hmm. because she knows about some photos that herself in the real world wouldn't want to get out and she knows how to get them. And that I thought was interesting. I'm going to give the story credit for that. Okay. Um, but that's why it's so frustrating that they're DNA because that's exactly what you don't get if you're cloning someone from DNA. Is memory of where is your dirty se- pictures are? Like recent memory, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, you know, assuming that they fix the DNA part, right, if right. we go with the story, Ugh. then yeah, she blackmails her real world self in order to make her real world self go into the apartment of this guy daily and steal the DNA samples, which of course in our rewrite version would have to be his hard disk or something <laughs> that he's keeping me. Wait, in. wait, 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 hang on. <laughs> they, she steals the DNA samples and that somehow lets the emulated copies free well no actually it's 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 a multi-part plan so um they want to escape i think by just ceasing ceasing to exist and basically killing themselves that makes sense they have a theory of how to do that but they don't want him to just make more copies of themselves right so they're sort of attached to the idea of their other selves that could be made and tortured which is also sort of interesting okay so that yeah that is interesting right and that relates to this sort of um 
Oh, uh, yeah, we've talked about that before. We, Roko's Basilisk. If, if, I don't yeah, know if that's how you say Roko's it. Roko's yeah. Basilisk, right. Um, Which is too confusing to maybe sum I up. Won't, I won't sum it up since it sends people into conniptions, but you can look up our episode about it if you're interested. Roko, R-O-K-O. I think we talked um, about it in our Hell episode, maybe? Yeah, I think that's right. Future of Hell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah look at that one if you want to see it. But that's similar because you have to care about the suffering of copies of you that don't have consciousness continuity with you in order for the stakes in that thing to matter. And that's a question. That's a dodgy proposition to me. I'm not sure I care. I I, I care about you cloning me and interrogating the clone because I care about what he's going to tell you, but I don't care about his pain just because he resembles me. But it would still like abstractly bother you, right? I mean, you'd still like, like you would still prefer it not to exist on like, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It's really like, I, but I'm not asking you to make a big sacrifice to cause it not to exist. Just what would be your baseline? Right. 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 Well, just because it's an, it it, just because it's a consciousness and it's suffering. I already have a mild preference against that existing. So I would go with that, but it doesn't seem like a lot stronger because it resembles me. It seems a lot stronger if it shares consciousness continuity with me. That make that bumps it up in a huge way. Well, then it is you, basically. Then it is, is me, as far as I can tell, and therefore I am worried about it being tortured. Anything else? It's like if it doesn't want to be tortured, I don't want it to be tortured for sure. But that feels like a lower tier of um, concern to me. So I I think playing into the way it works in the episode. Yeah. Um. The other co-founder, Walton, who's stuck in the simulated world as well mm-hmm. has a son that uh daily has dna of as well mm-hmm. so daily has the power to create his son at any moment and torture his son in front of him and that's one of the ways he keeps walton in line okay inside the simulation again this guy is a horrible sociopath right um so i think that's you can imagine a parent being really concerned about you know preventing endless copies of their child being created in, you know, and, and then tortured or, or even though that's not really different, technically you can imagine that like the emotional quality of that to a parent would be very present um, enough that they would want to prevent that. Yeah. It's weird. I actually have an easier time understanding not wanting my kid's copy to be tortured than my own copy. <laughs> right, right, right. Because it, it, it's mostly it, like if all I knew is like abstractly inside a computer somewhere where I didn't have to see it or know about it. A copy of my kid was being tortured. I think I could just sort of be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not that I love it. If I could flick a switch and turn it off, I'd turn it off. But I just, yeah, it doesn't strike me as the same as like my actual kid being tortured or my actual self being tortured. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I... I that distinction makes sense, yeah. but, but again, I mean... Well, no, I just would like to see that... I'd like to see that dealt with in something. I mean, that's the kind of thing I would wish Black Mirror in a perfect world would deal with. Well, it's, it is sort of dealt with, and it, so, okay, I mean... So how do they do it? Well, it, it's dealt with in the way that I described. I mean, it's not like a... Like, it's not the main source of exploration of the episode. It's just mm-hmm. sort of an implied thing you can discuss about it. Um, but yeah, so they they create a distraction so that this girl's real self... Her name is Cole, by the way. I should use the character names. Um, can go in, break in, get rid of the DNA stuff. But ultimately, what happens is he does get back to the computer in time to realize that the emulated copies are trying to destroy themselves. Okay. Right. And and the way they're, you know, it it's sort of like shown uh, visual. There's some like techno babble explanation for how this works, but like it's shown visually in the show as like they're racing. They commandeer the ship, they strand uh, the bad guy's avatar on a planet, and they're racing the ship towards this sort of like black hole void thing. Sure. That's going to, you know, cause them to to vanish and not like exist anymore. Okay. And so, you know, he sort of catches on at some point and is, finds some sh- shuttle in this virtual world and like chases after them, but it doesn't get there in time. And that's kind of like the final flaw, I think, is that that sequence is really not very plausible. If he has so much power, and you see him wield insane amounts of power in this virtual world, you should be able to like either like teleport and manifest a faster ship, or teleport, or log out and log back in onto the ship, or do any number of methods to catch them. 
And again, you could write yourself out of that hole too by simply forgoing that final chase sequence. I know why writers like to do that because it seems exciting, but uh, it would make more sense for them to just fully get away while he's away from the computer. <laughs> so uh, that was my final problem with it. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. That's just one episode of the new season. I don't know. Maybe I'll talk about the others, but like I said, I'm, I'm not as invested in the show as I used to be, unfortunately. Yeah, that is too bad. Um, sounds like there's some missed opportunities there. Um, so do you want to move on? Yeah, yeah. So I know you have something to talk about. Yeah, so this is the... Uh, we talk shit about <laughs> uh, sci-fi shows podcast, I guess. Cause Which is I'm something gonna, that we do. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bag on Altered Carbon a little bit because I just watched it. I haven't read the books, so I'm coming in as somebody who just watched the show and... Um, was looking for a kind of surface entertaining sci-fi show. I didn't expect a whole lot from it. And I did see um, Robin Hansen, who was on the show last time, uh, did t- uh, a little article about it on his blog, which we'll link to, where he complained about some stuff that I thought was on point. And uh, then when I watched it, I had a host of additional complaints, basically. So if you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to spoil it. So you know, whatever it's, it is what it is. Knowing what happens in the plot, I don't think is going to really affect your enjoyment of it, to be honest. Um, but, uh, it's kind of a, just to give you like a brief overview, it's, um, a story about body swapping and immortality using a technology. The primary technology in the world is this thing called stacks, which are basically a a brain on a disc that sits at the base of your skull and like substitutes for your brain, essentially Mm -hmm. your body. Uh, and they are computer like they're based on some alien technology or something. So like there's a, there's a little bit of a black box nature to them in the world. Um, but they're basically computer like, and they appear to be, they have the ability to be uploaded by like a satellite link. Uh So I've seen just the first episode enough mm-hmm. to sort of see that it kind of were, it's like as if humans just had a hard disk instead of a wet brain, basically, right? That seems to be the way they work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's, it's in your skull. Yeah. Or the back of your skull. And it seems to have like a relatively poorly designed from a security standpoint backup methodology where you have to like basically radio transmit through satellite to like a to like you wirelessly transmit to like a, a, a remote backup device. Oh yeah. No, I saw that in, in even in the first episode, there's eyelids a, flutter and there's like a rich guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this is not something most people can afford. Like backup services are seem to be very expensive. Cause he talks about how he's got a private satellite and he can like back up his brain, you know, every day or something. Right. Basically one of the absurd things in the, in the construction of this world um, is that, even though everybody has a hard drive in their brain and that uh, basically makes you immortal uh, as long as this hard drive doesn't get destroyed in whatever accident kills you. Mm-hmm. Um, no one backs up their hard drives. And the reason for that is that it's absurdly expensive, but that's still absurd. <laughs> like I just don't buy that. I don't buy any world where everybody has one of these things and you can't back them up there just isn't that much information in a human brain. So like, well, there is a lot of human information, but they obviously, obviously can store it effectively since everybody has one. Well, right? they can store it in a stack. So it, yeah, it seems like it, <laughs> it seems like even if they had no other storage technology in this universe, which why <laughs> they would have at least right. Like normal kinds of storage that we already have. But even if they didn't have regular hard drives, they would at least be able to have stack farms that could just sit there and take these um, these backups. Well, so like, do they ever discuss in the show? Like, do, are, is this implanted at birth? These things, or is that ever addressed? Yeah, they address that. Uh, I forget what the explanation is, but yeah, they're um, they're implanted at birth. But like, let's say in the world, right? Yeah, uh, these hard drives are are quite expensive. Let's say it's like twenty grand in today's terms for like one of these hard drives, right? Yeah. And so you, everybody gets implanted with one at birth, maybe because the government decides that like every citizen should have one of these for a variety of reasons, 
Um, yeah, nobody doesn't have them in the world. Right. So everybody has them. So it could, maybe it's that, if it was that expensive, right, then you could imagine that not everybody would be able to spend 20 grand, 30 grand on like having an extra one, but that the government might pay for it on birth because it sort of gives every citizen, you know, maybe it makes them trackable or it lets them, you know, maybe it's just considered a public good because well, it means you can bring people back to make them trackable. Cause there are actually trackers in this story that sure. are, are used. I'm just trying to make it work, but yeah. Anyhow, I don't know exactly what, like I'm sure in the books, there's some specific explanation for why this is. So I don't know what that is, but from what they explain to you, it's, just assume that there's like some tremendous amount of information in there and that these are essentially like a magic technology that, you know, no other technology that we have access to can store that much information, basically, unless you're like super rich and you have your own private satellite or whatever. So, uh, on top of that, there are rules about not having multiple bodies, which are laws. So, I mean, I can buy that there are laws and that the laws tell you you can't have multiple bodies since that's confusing. I mean, I don't think that's the way things would actually go. If there was this technology, I think we would be encouraged to have uh, multiple bodies, but, uh, but I can understand uh, bodies are expensive in this world. And, um, you know, there could be laws that makes some sense. Well, it's sort of like, how do you acquire a body if not taking it? You either grow a clone, which is very expensive, or you take it from a, like a prisoner, basically, uh, prisoners are, their stacks are removed and their bodies are recycled. And so people who die, who are not very rich, get like a used body from somebody else. Their stack gets implanted in it. Um, and people who are very rich have clones that they've grown at great expense to get their So stack. you could have laws against that. Li- I mean, since you have to take a body from what's presumably a living sentient yeah. being, you could have laws against that. I, I thought as a cultural thing, that was fine. And okay. I, I should also say it takes place in a non-earth planet. So this is like so far into the future that we're colonizing space. It's mm-hmm. not really an issue, but it does make some of the scarcity that you see in the world make more sense because mm-hmm. otherwise it's like so far in the future and they have all this technology. And it's confusing why there's so many poor people and everything. But I guess that makes sense. If you, if you grant that it's space, there's also advanced VR and advanced, like full sensory experience type VR, which makes sense. Cause you could jack into that, mm-hmm. you know, stack, put, just put the stack straight into a computer. And there's also AI and the AIs are like weirdly brittle and limited, but also played by human actors and portrayed as nearly human. So in the first episode, which I saw, there's an AI hotel owner. Yeah. He's a main character. So that he actually is the hotel. The hotel is like a big computer and he's the avatar of the mm-hmm. hotel's computer. And, uh, and he's a main character and he has like an emotional arc which is weird because they don't, they also claim that these beings are not capable of that and people treat them as if they're basically useless. They're not kind of like, they're like abandoned relics of like a previous era. They're not like um, current technology. Uh, and there doesn't seem to be any like better AIs that have superseded them. Yeah. And these are all very, very common problems in, in sci-fi that we've discussed. Really strange. All of it, all of it's just really bizarre. Um, the way they actually use the AI is not so bad. In fact, it's like, it's a clever computer and it sort of tricks another computer and hacks it. And it kind of like does some things that you would expect an AI might be good at, but the things they say about it don't really make any sense. So many things that have AIs tend to want to claim that there's some ineffably human quality that the AI can't possibly have for some reason. Yeah. And yet... They are still like it's there's this dissonance where they will also show the AI demonstrating that ineffable quality often in the same story over and over again. Like the AI can't truly be creative. Here's a scene of it doing something creative. The AI can't truly love. Here's a scene of it loving. And it's like, which is it? Yeah, right. Exactly. Because they want those story beats because they're interesting, but then they want to yeah deny that it's happening. That yeah. happens to some extent in this. And then it's even worse because the world itself treats the AI like it can't be creative and it can't love and it can't like have emotional 
uh, reactions to things. It's not really a love story, but it like it, it definitely has an experience with a human girl where it's trying to help her uh, recover from some trauma and it like learns something about the world. It has like an insight about how the world works while dealing with this girl. That's like a very human moment that it's good to see an AI do. But then at the same time, why are AIs not used in this world? It doesn't make sense that they would be abandoned. And this comes to like, all right, so this oh, abandoned. Me, they're aban- like, they're no like one- old. Yeah. They're like abandoned relics of like a previous era. Cause these, um, the people who live forever, the people who have the clones, the rich people, they're called meths short for Methuselahs. And a, a class of rich people who live forever is of course a really interesting idea to me. Um, both because it's a sort of handy metaphor for corporations, which is, I think, how it's meant in the show, and also because it's um, an actually speculatively interesting concept, which is that, you know, if you never die and you can extend your productive life indefinitely, you might get into a position where you're like, you know, run away uh, just better than everyone else, and you have all this capital, you have all this head start, and... It's also like a metaphor for, you know... Inequality, rich get richer. Yeah, any kind topics of, of like, yeah. any kind of inequality, like s- s- snowballing inequality topic, it sort of works for. And so that's an interesting idea. So they these are they're basically the villains of the story. They're these like sort of gods that appear, in, you know, that exist in this world and and kind of affect everything. And um, ultimately, everything is sort of their machinations, whether it appears to be that way or not. That's very like William Gibson ish, right? Yeah, it definitely owes. I mean, the whole thing is a cyberpunk thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, visually, it owes a lot to Blade Runner. There's a lot of like inexplicable rain and noodles. Um, but that's like a like an official trope of cyberpunk, I guess. Right? Yeah. It's like the sort of rich people behind the scenes controlling rich, everything. Often immortal people or like robots that are copies of people, depending on which William Gibson book you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It very much feels like a William Gibson villains and they are, you know, they're kind of interesting, but they don't use the AIs. Wait. So what's the story explanation for abandoning the AIs? Like that's, that's so people don't use them anymore because they're not like as good as humans or something basically, except, (laughs) except the way the story shows them is that like, that's just not even true in the story. So I don't know. It's it's weirdly hand-waving them away and then also using them. It, it's a real strange choice. But there are other stories where, okay, we don't use the AIs anymore, but it's because... Yeah, because they try to kill everybody like in Dune. Yeah, yeah like it's too dangerous. So exactly. Or, uh, or some cultural reason or something, but like yeah. they're not being good enough. I mean, what did humans suddenly get better? All right. No, that's the thing is like humans are, they're living longer, but they are not better they're like living longer and in cloned youthful bodies, but they're not like smarter or anything. And okay. So then <laughs> here's another thing it does. It uses a, uh, a cryogenic freezing trope, which I, again, it's a good trope. I like Futurama. I like sleeper. I like lots of things that use that trope. There's nothing wrong with that trope. That trope has a specific reason, which is that it's supposed to allow you to have a guy whose experience is similar to the audience's exist in a future world so he can say like what's this <laughs> and people could say like, oh that's a flobulator but he has one of those right i mean that is his purpose that is why you send a guy from the present into the future whether it's idiocracy or whatever example right, allows right? you to have a present person explore the future yes it gives you a stand-in for your audience so but they have decided to have this guy get frozen in a future that we do not understand and then go 250 years into that future and then be unfrozen then, the end of his prison term. And when he wakes up then, nothing has changed. There is no value to this trope. He is both from the future and not from a sufficiently different future than the one he's in. So he has no value to you as a cipher at all. So what's really going on there is this is a story about a convict who gets out of prison after going away for 15 years or 20 years. Right. Like, as you've seen in plenty of regular real world stories, but that wasn't sci fi enough. So the author, like, you made know, 250 years added some cryonics to it. But because people don't die in this world with the with between the stacks and the cryonics, <laughs> it's it's even less time than 15 years, really, because like his, you know, his all the people that he knows are dead, except not really, basically. Not to give away too much, but one of the big twists is that the one of the people he thought was dead 
all along is just, you know, a deactivated stack somewhere. So Also, wait, doesn't that ruin the whole point of a prison sentence, which is to sort of provide... Because <laughs> if you're unconscious for the entire prison sentence, it's, what's the problem? Like, that's fine. Put me away and, like, wake me up in the future. And, like, maybe the future is better. Yes, that is a correct thing to worry about. I was worried about that as well. <laughs> like, the fact that it's not a real punishment? That, it, that this is an incredibly cruel world that seems to want to punish people, and yet their main punishment for people is... You sleep and have no consciousness until we feel like it, basically. The whole point of prison is you have to be conscious for it. That's the whole reason prison is terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're doing it to punish people, yes. And if you're doing it to, like, rehabilitate them, then they need to be conscious for that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm right? assuming, yeah, the the punishment but in, aspects But of neither prison. thing is accomplished by just switching them off. No. And there's a big plot line where a character who has really gone around the bend and become very evil is operating in this world. And his goal for this character is to get that person decommissioned for a period of time, just like happened to him. But it's totally unclear as to why he thinks that will help since he woke up and he felt like it was yesterday and he wasn't, he hadn't changed at all. (laughs) Huh? It's not that I can't imagine a world that's both technologically advanced and that does not progress in 250 years i can imagine that it is possible to imagine it. that seems like a very long time for nothing to have changed given the time horizons that uh sure things change on now now here's the thing um things like that like the cryonics i think tend to bug you and i yeah because they feel like missed opportunities i felt like that about the black mirror thing sure. too where it's so close to that. That's why, like, I sound annoyed, and maybe you sometimes get annoyed by this stuff, is because it, it's so close to something I want to see, but then not quite. So there's that aspect here, right? But just assuming, okay, this is a cyberpunk show. Does it work on like a basic? Just this is a fun thing to watch. If I don't try to pick apart the plot holes, like, is it an exciting okay, cyberpunky so show? Let me get to that because all right, there is some cool cyberpunk stuff in it. There is some pretty well done immersive vr stuff okay where nobody's tricked about the reality in fact the show has a little gimmick where they like curve the sides of the screen Mm -hmm. to like let you know visually when you're in the vr so every so there's not the issue of like am i really in vr or am i in the real world yeah they don't bother with that like vr is clearly vr and the real world is like this blade runner dystopia but it's very clear what it is you know Mm -hmm. Is some interesting machinations where, like, you know, these rich William Gibson villains are, like, buying off everybody. So, like, all these different characters that you expect are kind of have their own loyalties turn out to, like, be flipped in various ways. And they have this henchman uh, who worships them like gods, like a sort of modern-day Greek gods, like the kind of gods that, like, go among the people. And um, that's a pretty cool character because he kind of walks around asking people creepily if they're believers and then kills them. Um, There's a really annoying part of the world that is very tropey, which is that there's like religious objectors to the whole stack thing. Mm -hmm. So those people still have stacks, but they're coded to not get revived. Mm. And this is basically there's like a political debate between law enforcement who wants to revive them if they're murdered um, and the like neo-Catholics, which is the religious group who wants to uh, respect the sanctity of the dead. And then this is like the big thing that Hansen said about it, which I completely agree with, which is that the whole thing really ends up being, and this is my biggest disappointment with it, a kind of morality play about, is it immoral to want to live forever? And Mm. the show strongly takes the position that yes it is immoral and all Mm. the good people like are at least conflicted about living forever if not straight up disbelieving in it completely they're sort of on one of those sides and the meths who are the people who have most enthusiastically um adopted living forever as a strategy are presented as evil and this was like my biggest 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 thing with it which is that when they finally come time to tell you why these guys are evil, like when they show you the evidence that they are truly evil and that they're not just rational people who are trying to live forever and happen to be richer than others, <laughs> they show they reveal that the richest, most connected one of them has been offering as a service to the others a place where you can, with no consequences, kill 
real children in a permanent way, destroying their stacks and eliminating the ability mm-hmm. for them to ever be revived. That's what every rich person dreams of. And I mean, you can also kill men and women and you can do so in a sexual way. But the main feature that they think you should be really outraged by is that you can kill live children, right? Which is outrage worthy. Yes. But very contrived. But it's ridiculous because they don't do any work to tell you why people who have lived a long time would want to kill children when that's something that almost no people want to do now. Right? Like, what about living for... They just get bored and they just do everything else and they just... They're like, well, there's nothing left but to kill children. And I, and I, there's no way I would use this completely photorealistic VR that I have complete access to to kill children in a way that doesn't harm children. Right? There's no way that I would use this... Um, this vast wealth that I have to, like, kill children in a way that they could be revived. No, no, no. It only feels good to me if it's real children and I know they're dead, right? So it's like the worst kind of primacy of the real thing also mixed up with this just unbelievable cruelty and no one benefits. I like, I cannot figure out what they get out of killing children. It sounds like a horrible nightmare. It sounds like something I would pay money to avoid experiencing. (laughs) Well, and here's the thing. Uh, I mean, actually, it makes more sense in the in the Black Mirror episode that because at least they're sort of virtual beings, you know. So, like, you know, you could sort of make a case for that. But like the insistence on killing real children, it's hard to imagine that being a common pastime. I mean, certainly, like among these, you'd have a sicko or two, yeah. Like elites, basically, the assumption is that they're that. It, I get I, the most terrible assumption I can come up with is that they it selects for psychopaths that like you don't even become one of these people who lives forever unless you are so psychopathic that you have you know exploited so many people and gotten so rich that you can join their ranks. That's like my most charitable, which is kind of a casual cynical belief that I think people often have about say politicians <laughs> or rich people in general. Yeah, or corporate leaders who I think is like yeah. kind of the the metaphor here. And yeah, I mean, I guess on some level you can, you know, we do know that like some rich out of touch people like do have really strange, um, selfish desires that they enact in some way. Uh, so on, if I'm being really charitable, I guess this is sort of like a, an extrapolation to that of that to like the, the culture level that like the entire culture of rich people is, is just sick in this way. Um, but it's so extreme and so bizarre. And if you look at all the other things that these people are doing, they're just like running successful businesses and building all kinds of things that are useful for this world. And then if they just didn't kill children on the weekend for fun, they wouldn't be evil. <laughs> like it just feels like it's very lazy writing, I think, because their philosophical position, I think is actually just the correct one. And the story needs to make them bad. So instead of doing anything interesting to complicate their philosophy, it just tacks on some very pedestrian evil. I mean, it's children killing is nothing new. As we were talking about this, I, um, I pulled up our episode 58, which is listeners might want to go back to. It's one of my favorite episodes that we've recorded where we talk about the top 10 ways science fiction fails to predict the future. Yeah. And we have these 10 things and I'm not going to go through them, but it sounds like this story has oh, pretty much every single one. Yeah. And I haven't even touched on like the annoying super now elements like that right. people have cell phones to, <laughs> in this time of advanced AI. They yeah. Just, they're just walking around with regular old cell phones. I mean, they're clear. Like, you know, like. <laughs> but in a an eleventh one, uh huh. Well, or maybe it is on the list. I don't know because I, I this idea that like I almost want to call it like this sort of like vampire myth thing. This like idea that like you can't possibly want more life or to be immortal without somehow also being evil. Right. Right is something that's pretty pernicious. The way too. that it's presented in Altered Carbon, it's really mixed up with that primacy of the real one. That yeah, yeah. We did. I don't. Is that the name that we ended up with? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Primacy so, of the real. We should talk about what that so is. So it sounds like a super pretentious uh, Baudrillard book or something. But we just mean that, like, we got cited though by John Danaher. <laughs> so it, so it's, there you now go. It, now it's in academia. This is working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, we just mean that, like, real things, non-virtual things, um, meat space things, are presented as being like the true or the good or the or the pure, right? Um, that there's like a that there's a value intrinsic to to things being physical. But yeah, ultimately it becomes this like morality play where natural things are good. Extending your life or using AI or using VR is like inherently bad. And if you like those things, you're basically sick and you want to kill children. I mean, that's basically the world that they present. And it just... It, it's unfortunate because it does get, it does have some, uh, the, another thing that's really interesting is that it has body swapping in it. So it has like subterfuge body swapping mm-hmm. and that's cool. I mean, that's a really cool idea. Somebody owes you a favor and you get them to let you ride their body for long enough to make out with their husband or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're into doing. And, um, and, or you, you know, somebody gets, his lover comes over and he's it's several minutes of talking to her before he realizes that it's not her in there. It's she's been kidnapped and um, someone's riding her body and like that. And that's cool for the actors too. Cause they kind of like take on a different aspect when they're playing the other character inside. It has that being John Malkovich quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and that's like a, you know, there's a bunch of really good sci-fi ideas in it. And the, the thing I liked best about it is I think because it comes from a bunch of novels, it's a whole world. So they came up with not just one technology, but like a whole set of technologies and cultural choices that are available that do seem to actually interact with each other. Like you don't see anybody welding robots in the robot factory. Like No, and that's yeah. good. And that might explain yeah. why, I mean, people do seem to like this show. Yeah, I think if there's something to like about it, that's, I think... Because a lot of new sci-fi shows that are worse than this, probably, that aren't based upon written source material, do not feel like complete worlds. They don't feel like, you know, there was a world off screen. And you're saying, basically, that this at least feels complete, because it has that source material to draw on. Yeah, even where it's absurd, it at least is complete. I wouldn't say it's terrible if you have, like, a strong stomach for genre and you, like think you'll be really into like a sort of noir detective story set in a kind of Blade Runner-ish world with these concepts bouncing around, then I'd say, give it a watch. I did actually watch all of it. So I guess that says something. I sat through the whole thing. Um, Yeah, I don't know, based upon that, if I'm going to watch it myself. That's that's my half-assed recommendation, basically. Why don't we end maybe by trying to recommend things we actually like that are similar? So like, I don't know of a TV show that's quite like this, but um, it does, if you want to... read something maybe that's cyberpunk and good and has something sort of like a sleeve in it and i would read peripheral right the william gibson book that's a great book yeah that is awesome and i don't think we've we might have talked about it a little bit on this podcast but not a lot and you and i have both read it and it's excellent um all right well this is fun i'm glad we talked about these and we will be back soon to do more discussions of future topics Thanks for listening, and until next time... I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And you've been listening to Review the Future. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.